You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 120, brought to you by Vessi's Seeds. Well, today, folks, we have uh, author Lee Reich with us uh, uh, to talk about growing tomatoes. Uh, who is Lee Reich? He is an avid gardener with graduate degrees in soil science and horticulture. Um, after working uh, in plant and soil research with the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture and Cornell University, he turned to writing, lecturing, and consulting. Sounds pretty good. He's got a number of books. Uh, I've had him on the show to talk about this one, Weedless Gardening, and also, I believe, The Ever-Curious Gardener. But he's got uh, other books on top of that, A Northeast Gardener's Year, The Pruning Book, Uncommon Fruits for Every Garden, Landscaping with Fruit, Growing Fruit Naturally, and his most recent book, Growing Figs in Cold Climates. He writes regularly for a number of uh, gardening magazines, um, and his syndicated gardening column for the Associated Press appears bi-weekly from coast to coast. His garden has been featured in the New York Times and Martha Stewart Living. He's won awards from the National Gardening and Organic Gardening magazines and has been included in Open Days Tours of the Garden Conservancy. <laughs> He's here to talk about growing tomatoes. Um, and the reason I got the idea for bringing him on the show, aside from having him on before reading his books and liking him, was the fact that I was just... I was just having one of those days. I said, I wonder what Lee Rice is doing on his YouTube channel. And I just saw this video on pruning tomatoes and uh, his tomatoes look better than my tomatoes. And I thought he probably knows more about tomatoes than me. That's the kind of guest I want. People that know things that I got nothing to say, that nothing really good to talk about. So uh, Lee, say hello to our guests. How you doing? Hello, everyone. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, bl I'm blushing from the introduction. <laughs> you can't tell because everything looks orange here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's very, uh, it's like the 70s there sort of thing. It's got yeah, this I don't, yeah, cool I don't warm glow. You're making me nostalgic for my youth. How is the weather? You're in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. How's and the weather there right now? It's, uh, it's very variable. Today was uh, over 60, sunny and beautiful. And then tonight, the temperature is going to drop. And Friday, we're supposed to have a foot or more of snow. And then next week, the lows, or I think uh, this weekend, and the, and it, the lows are going to be in the uh, single digits. And the highs, maybe in the 30s, maybe in the 40s. It's very, this is a, this is a time of year that non-native plants really don't like. You know, <laughs> fluctu fluctu fluctuating winter temperatures are not good for plants. No, and I mean, I'm, I'm trying to translate everything you were saying there into Celsius, but basically oh. we're going, going down into like minus 20 Celsius and then up above zero Celsius. Right. Um, yeah. Back and forth sort of thing. But, but now it's 61, which is, what's that? That's uh, uh, a new micro. 67 is like 20 Celsius. So you're, you're getting yeah. into the, got to be into the teens. I watched your YouTube uh, video called uh, Pruning Tomatoes, and it got me thinking about a lot of questions. I still have about growing them. And, you know, I, I, I agonize over different strategies every year. I, I, I'm the only person in the house that really loves tomatoes in terms of eating them raw. I mean, everybody likes spaghetti sauce and things like that here, tomato soup and vegetable soup, with tomato base, all that sort of stuff. But um, I really, you know, I've, I've never felt in this location that I've really hit my stride with tomatoes. So I thought it would be great to have you on the show and just answer some basic questions that I have. But also, uh, I put a thing out on different social media asking my viewers questions they had for you. So we're going to see how many of these we can knock off in uh, over the span of about 40, 40 minutes or so. So uh, sounds let's, good. Let's get started. And I'm I guess go ahead. I'm poised and ready. <laughs> and I guess right before we start, you should 
tell people br briefly about your the, your garden and the sort of scale that you have a garden on. Okay, so I uh, where my house is used to be surrounded by only three quarters of an acre, and and I had a garden and I had a few fruit trees and you know some uh, veg I mean some vegetable garden, some fruit trees and I had some flower garden and then I had access to an acre uh, and three quarter field just to the south of me. Uh, so I bought it. And then I instead of like, uh, you know, say I had uh, three grapevines here, then I planted 10 grapevines, and then I plant chestnut trees, and I planted uh, filbert uh, trees. So uh, I decided that was not, you know, your average garden anymore. But it, but it wasn't big enough to be a farm. And uh, so I called it a farmed in. And it's, uh, it's, sort of more than one person can take care of and remain sane yes. as, you might, as you might guess from as we talk but uh so i so i grow a lot of you know now i have a greenhouse i've uh, i grow hardy kiwi vines i have like uh 10 15 hardy kiwi vines i grow pawpaw trees i grow i know this is probably a favorite up there uh european black currants that's that's one of my favorite of, of fruits i grow lots of blueberries wow. I grow, uh, uh, you know, 20 plus different kinds of pears, a uh, number of different kinds of apples. Uh, and then my greenhouse uh, provides me with uh, salad greens all winter. Right. You know, lettuce, uh, arugula, uh, celery. And then uh, in the summer when it gets really hot in there, I have some fig trees growing in the ground there. And so I get figs in late summer. In the greenhouse? Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and in, well, I also have figs in pots that I uh, protect in winter because I'm in the colder part of zone five. So it gets usually it used to get down to minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit, which is probably what's that? That's about uh, minus 16 or something Celsius. And uh, but uh, the last few winters, it, it, it didn't get nearly that cold, but it still gets. Um, geez, I should have a conversion chart here. <laughs> It gets down to zero. People can do the math. People Google it. Yeah, there we go. That's yeah, the do answer. the math. Google. It gets down to uh, zero. It always gets down to zero degrees Fahrenheit here. Uh, so, so, so you know, I have to protect figs in winter. But then the other, I'm, I'm saying this all to justify the luxury of my having a greenhouse. So I get <laughs> sad stuff in the winter. I get figs in late summer, and I all my seedlings for my uh, flower and vegetable garden. I start in the greenhouse in spring. So I get a lot wow. of bang for the buck. Wow. So, I, I'd love to have you, you know, we could do a, a whole a separate thing on your, because you grow a lot more fruit than me. And I got a thousand questions about that. Well, um, my, my uh, when I was in graduate school, my uh, PhD is a focus on uh, fruit growing, pomology. And, and the pawpaw tree, because I've never even eaten a pawpaw. We can't grow it up there. You need heat. Oh, it needs a hot summer. Yeah. Oh, I see. I grow persimmons also. I grow. I wrote a book a number of years ago that's uh, out of print now, but it's going to be reissued on uncommon fruits. And uh, a lot of them you'd be familiar with, like, because uh, they're uncommon here. Uh, gooseberry, blackcurrant. Yeah. Some, some you may never have heard of. Gumi, uh, medlar. Uh, you know, anyway, why did I get into that? Um, oh, yeah. So uh, pawpaw and persimmon were two of the fruits that or in the book also that I, I see. do. Wow. Okay. So yeah. So suffice it to say, the man has a big garden. Uh, you know, <laughs> farmed in. 
Farm den. Yes, that's right. That, that's the, the term you've trying, coined. Trying to introduce that word into the English language. It's possible. I mean, my my mine is 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 2,500 square feet. So I mean, it's oh yeah, it's it's beyond the typical backyard garden. You know, it is like a farm, small, yeah, my, tiny, tiny, tiny farm. Actually, my vegetable gardens. I've uh, two outside and one in the green in in the greenhouse. Totals about 2,500. But I also have all those fruit trees. So an that... Orchard on top of that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I'm I'm jealous. Um, of course, I, I have a nine to five or so. I, I think I could still pull it off, but uh, uh, who knows? Anyway, um, all right. So let's uh, start. And suffice it to say, you also grow a lot of tomatoes and a lot of different types of tomatoes. tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's a real, I'll put a link to, uh, to uh, Lee's video on, it was just on pruning tomatoes, um, but uh, I'll put a link to that at the end of this video so people can check that out if they're interested. Uh, so my first question is on, uh, Indeterminate versus determinate tomatoes, the uh, pros and cons and, and considerations for shorter growing seasons. Uh, and, and I guess what, what I would specifically ask you is, given my situation here, why would I want to grow determinants? Uh, other than there's a, a wider, I know there's a wider variety of determinate tomatoes. Sorry, there's a wider variety of indeterminate tomatoes. Right, right. Um, and potentially there's better flavors to be achieved, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, so so I I believe I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think the only advantage, well, two advantages to the indeterminate tomato, to the determinate tomatoes, are that they uh, I think they ripen earlier generally, yeah. and the other thing is that they ripen in very concentrated crops, so that could be an advantage or a disadvantage. For me, it would not be an advantage because I don't want to deal with a whole bunch of tomatoes all at once. Uh, and and you don't have to prune them either because they they grow bushier. That's right. But there, to me, I don't grow any de, de, any determinate tomatoes. Right. First of all, because yeah. I've a longer and a hotter season, and uh, and as you said, the taste they don't. The, the thing is, their their leaf to to fruit ratio is much lower than for indeterminate tomatoes, so you don't get as much flavor. So you're saying there's there's less fruit per leaf? No, more fruit, less leaf per fruit. Less so leaf. since leaves make, you know, photosynth photosynthesize and make, you know, sugars and other flavor components, if you have less leaf per fruit, you're going to get less flavor. I see. So, yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. So would your advice to, to anyone with a really good growing season, you should, you recommend the um, indeterminates? Definitely. hundred percent. And if there's a variety of indeterminate that's fast majority, fast maturing, um, that uh, that I, I should possibly look into favoring those over the, I tend to go with determinants because some of them will have like 50 to 60 days to maturity, which is kind of what I'm looking right. for. Um, cause I, I want to have them, we can get frost in September here. Right. And, wow. uh, yeah. And, the and sometimes the last frost frost date is like June 7th. Um, wow. so you have an incredibly crappy growing season, right? Um, doesn't always happen that way, but it happens, right? Um, so, uh, or sometimes the soil just takes, because the soil freezes to ice sometimes, it takes forever for the soil to warm it up enough to put a tomato in it. You plant your tomato and the plant just, oh, you know, because the roots are freezing 
in this uh, cold, cold soil. So you, you need a green. You need a greenhouse. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> or the other thing is, or the other thing is, you know, to grow them in, in tunnels, just where you get more warmth. And that's, that's kind. Of, that's what I do. I, I have yeah. these sort of tunnel things I stick on because it just. Otherwise, you know, you'll, you could have one bad night where they'll just get nuked with that with the frost right. and they're gone, right? I even well, had them. It's not only for that; it's also because the tunnels. Though you can't get more sunlight in them, you can get more heat at least. They get more heat, yeah. Even on a, you know, so-so day, it's a lot warmer in the tunnel than elsewhere. Right. That's right. Um, okay. So, and do you have any off the top of your head uh, suggestions of, of varieties of indeterminates that are quicker growing, um, uh, or, or tricks to, aside from using microclimates like greenhouses and tunnels, tricks for getting you know, your, 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 your indeterminates to, to, to bear, to bear fruit, to, to bear a yield quicker, like pruning. Well, well, I think, or... right. I think that, uh, that pruning them to, uh, the way I do in my video to a single stem, this does promote a somewhat earlier bearing. Okay. So that, that's, that's one way, uh, you know, pretty much they're going to bear, you know, in the time that they're supposed to bear. So it, it's hard to, without heat or without extra heat to, to promote earlier bearing. All right. Okay. Um, next question. Uh, planting out transplants, um, deep planting versus planting them sideways. And by planting them sideways, I mean, you, you plant right. the roots, you sort of lay them in, you lay them in a trench and then bend the, bend the yeah. stem up, uh, right. which is the, that I tend to use that because it, once it gets too cold, once you go down, but you know, is there is there a reason to do one over the other? Is one always better? Is there some context where you might favor one technique over the other? Well, to me, the idea is to put a plant in that's not leggy. You know, if it's grown well, the transplant, and so it's stocky, and then you just put the root. You know, if the root ball is that deep, that uh, that deep, you make a hole that deep, and you don't have to bend it, or you don't have to bury it really. Right. Deep. So that's the idea. On the other hand, uh, like you said. Where I am, and the soil is nice and warm when you when it's time to plant tomatoes, I don't think it matters. I mean, tomatoes do grow like weeds. Yes. Maybe not maybe not where you are, but where I am, they do grow like weeds. I mean, you can take a tomato stem without roots and just stick it in the ground, and and it'll root. But uh, but since you do have this very cold soil that stays cold, I would say just like you just said that uh, doing the trench method would right. be the better way. Keep them shallow and let let them find their own way down. Uh, right, because after they, the fact. yeah, because you know there's a number of problems. First of all, they they hardly grow if the soil is too cold, and also they get phosphorus deficiency because uh, phosphorus uh, relies on root exploration. Phosphorus doesn't come to the root; the root has to go to the phosphorus. Okay. So if they, if they don't grow a lot, then uh, they're not going to reach the phosphorus. And it's, it's you know in the in a climate that's warm enough or if the soil once the soil warms up then they have enough phosphorus so it's, it's just a temporary situation but it's nice to have the plants growing good from the get-go and the phosphorus is critical for flowering is that you know people correct? say that but it's i don't think that's really true there's a lot of myths in uh in horticulture and i think that's some that you know people write it and they repeat it and other people read it then they repeat it and it just keeps going along i mean right. you know Plants need balanced fertilizer to, to, to grow well and to fruit well. So they, they need the phosphorus they need. They don't necessarily need frost. 
phosphorus to flour. Right, right. I see. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense to me. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, now pruning. Um, how to prune, and does pruning make any sense if you have a short growing season? We sort of touched on that before, but just just to reiterate. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it, it makes sense because it it will advance uh, uh, bearing and also it exposes the. Um, and there are different methods of pruning the, the kind I'm talking about where you have a plant trained to say a stake and you prune it so that this indeterminate plant the, the main stem keeps elongating but it's also trying to make side shoots that could also elongate and you just maintain that single stem and you pull off all the side shoots as they develop and then fruits form on that single stem also but you get a lot of good air circulation that's one advantage. Also, they're off the ground, so ground-dwelling creatures can't uh, munch on them as easily. Yeah. And, uh, and, the, oh, and the fruit's cleaner. There's probably, a, you're probably optimizing access to sunlight in that situation. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Um, that makes sense. So basically a, a tall, skinny plant as opposed to a, you know, a, a, you know not a Christmas tree. Right. And I, I, I like I like the phrase you're harvesting more sunlight. The plant can harvest more sunlight. Yeah, that's what the plant the plant eats yeah. so sunlight yeah. you know, in all the right. ways that matter. And uh, I mean, the one thing I try to really um, stay on top of if, if you know, like sometimes you get so busy, you can't do everything. But keeping the, the tomato branches off the ground, like just anything touching the ground, you just right. almost cut it off like it has a cancer because I don't know, not exactly sure why, but it seems to uh, not be good when the when the branches get against the ground. Well, they get there's you know it's humid down there. You get more chance of disease, yeah. and uh, and there's as I said, ground dwelling creatures. You know the slugs, you know uh, turtles, all sorts of things can can start munching on the, on the leaves or the or the uh, fruit. You have turtles in your garden? No. <laughs> 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 but it's, I, I, some, I, I know I've read over the years of turtles, I think. Yeah. That would yeah. be cool. I mean, it would not be yeah, good, I, I suppose. Yeah, I'd sort of like to see a turtle in the garden. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Um, the, um, okay, we already killed that question off. So I was, I was going to ask best determinant and indeterminate variety for short growing seasons, not counting cherry tomatoes. That's what I was going to say. Cause, I, cause I, don't, I don't actually look for, uh, um, you know, short uh, to me, flavor is everything. So I just want to grow flavor. So I don't choose them for that. And I, I think some that I grow are probably earlier. Like there's one, I think, I shouldn't say this because I'm not 100% sure how early it is, but Carmelo. Carmelo? Is a really good one. I'll write that down. I should look that up right now. Oh, uh, God. Well, there's three. Carmelo, Valencia, and I can't remember the third one. But they're really nice and seem like early-ish tomatoes. Early-ish. Seem like quicker than your other ones anyway and and cherry tomatoes you know i i i'm a big fan of uh i don't know if you can grow sun gold up there yeah people grow those yep i know exactly yeah. what you're talking and about yeah to me uh that's as good as any cherry tomato can be you know one year uh for an article i was writing for a gardening magazine i i was going to rate cherry tomatoes so i grew 20 varieties of cherry tomatoes and uh and then you know, we taste, I would taste them and also friends and, and my daughter and my wife. 
and uh, and I remember one friend's uh, commentary. She she said that's one lousy row of tomatoes, because basically like eighteen of them weren't weren't good. Really? Yeah, cherry tomatoes are generally. You know, if you go to uh, not so much now, but years ago this was more the case. But if you went to say like if you at a salad bar in a restaurant and you have cherry tomatoes, you know, compared to what you can grow, they're really bad. I guess they're varieties that are chosen for shelf life and yeah you know and, how able to throw across the room without... <laughs> exactly oh and i mean when i'm choosing tomato varieties it reminds me of when i was a student and i go to a restaurant and you'd read the menu from right to left like you look yeah. at the price you look at the prices <laughs> and then like there was like you know anything i could find for like five dollars that you know um and it's the same thing i, I basically look I don't read anything. I just, I look at all the days to maturity and everything that's like 75 or less that I choose from among those. Of course, when you're on the seed catalogs, they never say, oh, these taste like crap or these are bland. Um, yeah, you got to read between the lines. Like this is good for canning. But, you know, <laughs> you want a fresh tasting tomato. Not that, that, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the variety San Marzano. Yes, yeah. So, you know, that, that tomato, that was one, because uh, I did another article once on uh, canning tomatoes. Right. Or plum tomatoes. And once again, you know, 18 out of 20 were really bad. And uh, and and the one that I knew was good, I didn't really even have to taste, was San Marzano. But San Marzano, to eat fresh, tastes like cotton, has no taste. But uh, when you when you cook it, 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 it has, uh, this, you know, that intense, great tomato flavor. That's it. I wouldn't have known that. I mean, I, I've bought them in a tin. I've never grown them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I always tell my wife, "Don't. What are you? What have you done? Where's the San Marzanos?" And actually, there's, there's a <laughs> there were a couple of tomatoes that were really great eating tomatoes, and especially great for sauce. There was a, a variety called Anna Russian, which I'm sure is not a short variety, short season variety. Anna Russian and Amish paste were were really too good. Actually, three. Uh, you can do three things. We also dry a lot of tomatoes, so we dry those also. I've heard of um, Amish paste. I, I'm, I swear I've seen that somewhere. So it's very, it's very similar to Anna Russian. Okay, so it's a very uh, low, probably had low, lot of like not as much water content as other. Yeah, but not too low because it's it's really good tasting, fresh. You know, right. in a tomato sandwich, it's a great thing. Oh, sounds like a perfect. <laughs> yeah, because I I do like to make uh, tomato sauce. Um, most of it, most of our, you know, you know, when you're trying to organize your garden, it has to be organized around what your family's going to eat. Otherwise you have like all this. So like when I first started growing my garden, I, I would grow a lot of the big fat beefsteak types. Cause I like tomato sandwich. Um, but then what I end up doing is like eating tomato sandwiches at 10 o'clock at night and gaining you know, one pound a month. Um, <laughs> cause I, no one's eating them. I'm eating all this mayonnaise and bread and stuff like that. Um, and I don't go cheap and you know, I want like a lot of mayonnaise and I want a big, you know, um, so growing those basically is the worst thing I could possibly do. Cause I just end up eating a lot of bread and mayonnaise. Um, so I realized like, you know, we like, uh, tomatoes in a salad, um, more so my wife and myself and, uh, and tomato sauces is what everybody will eat. So right. the garden needs to be heavier in the sort of Roma type, you know, you know, sauce paste type tomatoes, canning tomatoes, that sort of thing. Also for pickling, I'll do the oh, lacto-fermented right. tomato. 
Um, I like doing that as well. I'd probably do a couple gallons of that every year as well. Is that green tomato? You mean when they're green? No, you take the, the red, um, oh. a, ripe, a ripe Roma tomato, and you put it in a jar with salt water and you oh, leave, yeah. it on, leave it on the counter for about a week until it's all you know fizzy sort of thing and you put it somewhere cold and it's yeah. it's it got it's, it makes its own vinegar um some people like eating them whole like that i like using those as a, an ingredient sort of thing like they that it's you basically made a vinegar out of the tomato so that the 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 water with the salty vinegary sort of water as this unique and fermented it's this unique flavor that adds to a lot of things you put it in a pasta sauce um, but it just has this unique flavor that you can add to your food yeah. that, that no one else can buy. Uh-huh. Fermented tomato sort of thing, right? Yeah. And it's just one more thing to do when you've got like, Jesus, what do I do with all these tomatoes, you know? <laughs> I'll just stick them in a jar and let them ferment on the counter. Uh, and once you've done that, you put it in the fridge and they're, they're good for months sort of thing. Right? Yeah. So it buys yeah. you some time, right? Um, but some people say they just eat them right out of the jar like that. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's good. That's, that's some good varieties to, to, for people to look into. Um, okay, talk about the blossom and rot thing and um, how you know people's ideas about what causes it and how to deal with it and what really causes it and how to really deal with it. <laughs> right, so a blossom and rot, uh, if you grow tomatoes, you've probably seen it. It's basically, um, you have a fruit and the end is sort of shriveled a little and just totally black spot on it that can expand. And that's actually uh, from a calcium deficiency. And so people always think, okay, well, so uh, it cal- add more lime to the soil or some other form of calcium. But it's not from a deficiency necessarily in the soil. It's, a, it's from a deficiency of the uh, calcium to get and stay in the fruit. And it turns out if you have, although where you are, I don't can't imagine this happening that much because typically hot, dry conditions where you have a lot of transpiration, uh, a lot of the uh, water is going up to the leaves. And when that happens, uh, it actually draws calcium away from the fruit towards the leaves. Uh, so, so, one, so the ways to deal with uh, uh, blossom end rot, one thing would be to make sure the plants are watered so there's no water deficiency. Uh, and if you can, uh, you know, if you, this would be a reason not to plant them necessarily uh, to a single stem with a lot of air movement around them because you don't want too much transpiration of the plant. I see. And then also different varieties, uh, they vary in susceptibility to blossom end rot. And, and on the plus side, even if you have a tomato with blossom end rot, it's, it's, it's not some uh, deadly disease that's going to affect you. You can just cut off the end and use the rest of the tomato. Right. And well, and also like just because your plant has produced a couple with that doesn't mean the successive uh, yields are going to have that. I also think, especially here, a lot of people like they keep they're waiting and waiting and waiting to get their they get really they get overzealous and they plant their they start their transplants now. Uh huh. And then, you know, they can't plant them till like June. And so they're like two feet high and they got flowers on them, but they're growing in a little, you know, something something this size. Right. And so the plant has no roots and then they, you know, they harden off and stick it outside and you've got this thing two feet high with, you know, a tiny little root system and, and it's got flowers when I mean, it's, it starts developing flowers indoors or in whatever, 
you know, under under artificial lights or whatever. So this is just they should. I think they should just pluck off all those flowers when they when they plant them out. Um, uh, or better better yet is not start them so early. Oh, you know, <laughs> yes, of course. A plant that started that early really does uh, sort of it might bear fruit and then just stop. That's you know it's not really going to establish well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, that's another thing. I think a lot of gardeners. Uh, I think I think there's a question down here about about when to start the transplant. So we don't want to. Uh, kill the lead on that one. So uh, let's let's say that one for later. Uh, last question: uh, What's the deal with Epsom salts? Uh, one <laughs> thing I like to do is read Facebook pages and just read the questions people ask and the questions everybody else answers. There's no point in going into it because no one will agree with you anyway. But um, <laughs> so anyone will say, oh, "Bob, X doesn't matter. X is wrong with my tomato plants. What should I do?" And they'll say, "Spray up, you know." Epsom right. salts with water, spray them, water them with it, put some, all this Epsom. So, you know, what is people? It? People really consider Epsom salts to be this cure-all. And I was going to say, uh, when we were talking about blossom end rot, that I was going to say the one thing not to do is give them, <laughs> blossom, is give them Epsom salts. So Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate. So it doesn't supply calcium, it's magnesium. But something about people think there's some magic about Epsom salts. And whenever uh, I hear this, I think of what my, uh, I took a course in plant nutrition when I was in graduate school. And, and I remember when the teacher was talking about it, the, the professor, he said, he said, uh, yes, add Epsom salts to your soil if your soil is deficient in magnesium. So you don't just add Epsom salts. If, if there's not enough magnesium in the soil, this is a way to add magnesium. One way, it's not the only way. There's other ways to add magnesium also. So... Generally, if you see a uh, recommendation to add Epsom salts, it's, uh, it's uh, not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so generally speaking for tomatoes, it's, it's not, uh, if, you have, if you see a problem with your tomatoes, it's, it's very unlikely. You may get a soil test, I suppose, and see if your soils, well, yeah. then what, I mean, magnesium, I mean, it's not one of the big three because the plants it's, only need tiny, tiny amounts. And there's, it's usually, it's very rare that a soil wouldn't have it. Well, it's not a, it's not a, you know, there's, there's the big three, which is one of the macronutrients, and then you have micronutrients, but magnesium is one of the mi macronutrients that's needed, is needed, right. but it's not this cure-all, and it's not like everybody's deficient in magnesium. Okay, so that's all my questions. Um, now we can start wading into the viewer, and I'm going to sort of, you know, if I don't say the question exactly the way you wrote it, or if I don't pronounce your name correctly, uh, apologies for that. If I you know, uh, edit your question down, paraphrase. That's just because we're on camera here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this one is from Sherilee uh, Thomas. Uh, and the, the, the comment question is, um, if I start my tomatoes too early indoors and they get big before it's warm enough outside, will this affect their growth and production once they go outside? So I think what'll happen is uh, you'll get a few early tomatoes and then the plant will shut down because it's, uh, you know, it's it's not well, you know, it's just sort of made a few tomatoes and what little resources it had and what little root system it had, but it put too much energy into that and didn't have time to establish its roots. So I would, uh, yeah, better not to do that. So there is a sweet spot for the timing. Um, I don't know if we have more questions about that. When would you say, I mean, where you are, when, when do you start your, your tomato transplants? Well, I would say wherever I, wherever you are, uh, 
first of all, it's easier to not start them earlier because you don't have to take care of them as long. But I start mine uh, uh, six weeks before the last frost date. Six weeks before the last frost date, yeah. That's and then, you know, and that allows also, you know, a couple of weeks for them to be hardened off before they're planted in the ground. So it's like two months altogether before the before they can actually be planted. The soil is warm enough for them to be planted. Okay, so and for us, nice. that would be like uh, end of March, early April for us here. Well, that's same here. Yeah. And and, it, and it's good because, you know, if you're going to be growing them, say, just in a sunny window, uh, do, you know, you get a lot of sun then versus if you're starting them in February or, in, or earlier than that, they're going to be all uh, drawn out or et etiolated and, uh, and not good stocky plants. I mean, the idea is to have this, this plant that's really stocky when it's yes. time to plant it out. Uh, and, you know, and, and you want the root ball to be in proportion to the tops. And what I always uh, think, uh, try and make it, you know, about if you take like twice the height or two or three times the height of the uh, plant, the root ball should be like, uh, it should be like two, two or three to one, you know, so if the root ball is that much, I mean, if the plant is that high, the root ball should be one of those high. Right. So the, so the, the, the thing it's in the, so if I got one of these, the tomato should be twice that high. Yeah. Right. Around the time to plant. That's what you better said, say. better said than the way I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question is from Douglas Deaver. Since I listened to his interview on the Joe Gardner podcast where he was talking about growing figs in cool climates, and I would be interested in hearing his thoughts on growing tomatoes under similar circumstances. Um, well, it's a, it's a whole different plant because, you know, the figs are, are uh, woody perennial plants and, and tomatoes are annual herbaceous plants. Right. And, and one of the main challenges in growing figs in cold climates is to uh you know as far as uh if you have a climate that doesn't have a lot of heat or a lot of sun such as you have uh the figs you want to choose a certain variety of fig and maybe plant it against a wall a south facing wall other things that would increase heat and and also work with the variety but then the, the real challenge in growing figs in cold climates is to get them through winters and there's various ways in my book i talk about uh five or more methods different methods for getting uh figs through various types of cold climates you know you have uh, the kind of climate where i am where it's uh, frigid winters but hot long summers but then you have maritime climates where it's uh sort of a cold I, in the book i call it a coldish winter and and uh but not a super hot summer not so hot summer yeah. then, you have, then you have mountain regions where you have frigid winters and cool summers so uh you know each one of those uh you put together how you prune it uh, what varieties you choose and and how you bring it through the winter right so, so it really doesn't relate to tomatoes no because you're not bringing them through the winter <laughs> well, I, I guess the one way it sort of relates to tomatoes just in the summer you want good heat so if you could if you have a south facing wall or a south facing fence uh, you know you plant it near that it's going to gather up more of more of the heat and I've been so, contemplating, um, this is sort of side, side mention to this. Um, I mean, one of the challenges I have is th there's, you know, for the heat loving things, I especially have a hard time with peppers and eggplant. Okay. Right. Or more so I can get tomatoes to grow. Um, but uh, 
with a little bit of effort, but those things are really hard. And having some sort of dome or, you know, something like that over the plant um, works, but then there's exceptional days where it's just insane. You know, you get a really sunny day and are really hot and it risks the plant. And I've been thinking about putting a uh, transparent wall around the, the garden. I know all my gardens are in beds, like four by eight beds sort of thing. Uh -huh. So like a the thing, like a two foot high wall that's, you know, a poly, right? So that there's less wind turbulence. There's still a bit of wind, but basically there should be warmer ambient air in there. Um, so... I was thinking of something like that where it can't get too hot, but it's going to be hotter there than anywhere else because you're sort of, you know, creating this little, you know, you know, yeah, it's like a little phone booth sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it depends on, I guess it depends on how high the wall is and also how you get into it to harvest or <laughs> don't forget that. Yes, and, yes. And, uh, and also what you mentioned, peppers. I actually like peppers a lot more than tomatoes. And I do have one variety that I've grown... I used to live in Wisconsin where it got super cold. And this is a variety that's been very successful for me, for me as far, you know, with peppers, it's a problem not only in, in uh, the heat to ripen them, but also they can drop flowers if it gets, uh, if you know, depending on weather conditions, often if it gets too hot. And, uh, and this variety that I grow is, um, is the most reliable uh, pepper. And when I eat peppers, I only eat them when they're red. So I wanna wait for them to turn red. Mm. So I highly recommend this variety, but I'm not going to say the variety. No, I'm kidding. Go <laughs> no, on, the, that's all right. <laughs> I saw you. The variety is called, uh, you know, sweet Italian or sweet Italia, or maybe just Italia. Okay. And it's, I think it's a 70 day pepper to ripeness maybe. Okay. But I always get tons of peppers and they seem to set very well. The one downside to this variety, which is downside to peppers generally, but this one seems more than those, it, it flops over. So, you know, you have to keep it up. Uh, it's trouble, you know, you got a big load of fruit and it just pulls the plant down. Uh, right, it's, it's too too productive for its own good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, good. Uh, our next question is from Eagle Girl. Um, what is the best way to fertilize tomatoes during the growing season from plant to blooming fruit? Do you need a different fertilizer for each stage or can you use the same one? That's a good, that's a good question. That, that's uh, one of my pet peeves is that, um, and I think a lot of this has to do with marketing where, you know, people think you need a special fertilizer when you plant it out, then you need a fertilizer during the growing season. I'm not saying those don't work, but I, I tend to keep things simpler. And um, first of all, in my vegetable gardens, which are very intensively planted for, and for a very long season, you know, I start under, under tunnels, I finish under tunnels, I use just one fertilizer and it's an inch depth of finished compost. I once this, a year. kind of do the same thing, similar. Oh, once a year, because I made this, I used to use soybean meal and compost because I figured maybe it needed extra nitrogen but, uh, but then I made this calculation many times that one inch of compost or more uh, should supply everything uh, intensively planted vegetables would need for the whole season. Right. So if you don't have that much compost, so there's a lot of places to buy good compost now. If you don't have that, I would just put down some balanced fertilizer, uh, preferably an organic fertilizer, and put it down in late fall. And what do you mean by balanced fertilizer? Give, give us some numbers, Lee. <laughs> I don't know. 
Five ten five. Five ten five. Okay. Ten ten ten. Okay. One two three. <laughs> three two one. <laughs> okay. No, but the nice the nice thing about compost it's it really is like a it's a balanced fertilizer. And the nice thing about it also is that the benefit is not only in the year that you know you get a lot of reserve nutrients and and also you have all those benefits to the soil you have benefits to the biology of the soil you're really feeding uh soil microorganisms benefit so that's good for diseases and you're also uh improving the physical aspects of the soil you get better uh water drainage and you get uh, uh better water holding too so that's right. a nice combination so if, if if you can do one inch of compost that's that would be the best fertilizer and uh, you shouldn't really call it, it actually legally cannot be called a fertilizer. It's, it's supposed to be, uh, it's a soil amendment, but it does provide fertility. And, and what I like to do is do it in the fall only because I have a lot to do in the spring and anything I can reduce, any, any activity I can do in the fall, I'll do in the fall. But if you can't do it in the fall, just do it, you know, anytime you can. And then after a few years, it's not that crucial when you do it because you have this big reserve. It's when when you add compost to soil, you get a benefit the first year, you get some benefit the second year, third year. It goes on and on. I think I had Robert Pavlis uh, on the show uh, talking about compost, and he said the the stuff the stuff we consider soil that's coming out of out of our compost that's still got five years of composting left to do. Um, so it's 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 still doing the magic the magic goes on for years yeah yeah <laughs> so uh yeah uh okay i should also mention when i when i add compost to the ground uh you know a lot of people dig it in because they think all oh, the root has to get down to the roots i just lay every year i i in my weedless gardening book that you mentioned earlier on i uh, promote uh no-till gardening which it's not a religion so not not the, it there are reasons to till you know depending on your particular situation but you can garden without any tilling especially if you're growing in beds such as you are and such as i am and uh, you get more bang for your buck with compost if you do not till it in because being on the surface gives a lot of benefits also it, it protects uh, the, the soil from the impact of rain raindrops right. and uh, also being the dark color you know where you are the dark color will warm up Absolutely. And people often ask me then, they say, so uh, how do you plant? And just make believe the compost is soil because it is basically <laughs> soil yeah. in all the ways that matter. Make a furrow, put the seeds in. <laughs> Pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing how, uh, how simple everything gets if you just, uh, you know, just, just leave it, um, leave it to uh, take advantage of the way a natural system Works right. and exactly. to work in your garden yeah right. humans have this this desire i don't know why uh to to complicate things <laughs> and uh, it's not necessary and it's uh, somewhat detrimental often yeah uh okay next question is uh from the hut uh, uh says uh, i would be interested in methods to increase yields should suckers be pruned top pruning late in the season I, I tried that this year I actually did have a determinate Friday and I top pruned them I mean because it was the it was the beginning of September and we can get frost in September so there was no point in having anything other than uh, the fruit that was already set anyway um should uh, top pruning late in season also interested in types of rec types recommended for a short growing season we already covered that question yeah. okay so yeah 
methods to increase yields should suckers be pruned, top pruning late in the season? So the whole thing with pruning, when I described it to a single stake, that means you could plant more plants, you could get more plants in a given area because they could be closer and you're getting this vertical aspect to the garden that you're making use of. So you, you can you can get greatest yields from uh, well pruned plants grown to single stakes at, you know, say a foot apart. But, uh, you know, you can also get good yields other ways, but not as good. Yeah. And, yeah, so so basically the, the maximum yield will be, you know, that's why in greenhouse uh, tomato production, they they you know, they prune all the plants to a single stem. I see. So yeah. they're really trying, you know, it's expensive to grow things in greenhouse. So they're trying to get, you know, as many as they can per unit. So each plant, if you just plant it, put it on the ground, let it sprawl, you'll get more yield per plant. But from a given area, you'll get less yield. So you get uh, less yield per plant, but more yield per square foot. Per soil, yes. Per square yeah. meter. Per arable soil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, and what about topping? You know, topping, I've, you know, there's another one of these things I read. I never saw any the science behind it. And I did try it one, you know, sometime years ago. I never saw, did you see a benefit? I never saw a benefit. I didn't, I mean, I honestly... I did not have an experimental design sufficient yeah. to uh, rule out type one error. Let's put it that way. So yeah, I mean, it's, hard, it's hard to be objective to it. You know, I took off. I took off everything except. I mean, so this was uh, beginning of September. So I took off everything except parts of the plant that had a green tomato on it, right? Because I wanted oh. to get. Because I didn't know if I had two weeks before frost or three weeks. Because we get frost in September sometimes. This year we didn't, but sometimes we do. Right. So. Did you take off uh, uh, leaves also? No, no. I just I took off height, basically. Like, oh, oh yeah, you know, yeah. Had lower parts yeah. of the tomato that had fruit, and then upper parts of the tomato that had flowers. And I just said, no, you're, this flower is never going to become anything, right? I so guess theoretically, no this might be might not work, but theoretically, it seems that if you removed all the flowers, but left all the leaves to grow, that would might do it also. Because then you'd have more photosynthates. Yeah, is, that yeah. is what I did. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, okay. Oh, but if you just cut them off, you cut off leaves and everything. Oh, you're saying the upper stuff? Yeah, yeah just maybe I should have just take off the flowers. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it might yeah. not work. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's theoretically, it seems like it has potential. Someone needs to do a PhD on this. Or right. just a just a high school project. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all it would take, as long as they set up a decent design, you know, right. uh, enough yeah. observations. Uh, yeah, it would not be that hard. T test is all that's needed. Um, okay, uh, next question is from uh, Garden Girl. Best tips for growing tomatoes in shorter seasons outside? I think we already killed that one off. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything else to add to that other than what we already said. Um, uh, Mark Sexton says, uh, cracking tomatoes. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that was a good one. Cracking tomatoes. I think I, that was originally one of my questions and I removed it because this person, this guy asked it. Mark Sexton, cracking tomatoes. Why? I've, I'm trying to, you know, follow his punctuation. Why? I've, <laughs> I've tried more water, less water. It wasn't until fall that cracking stopped. Dot, dot, dot. And I live in the Mojave Desert of South, uh, SoCal. Is that Southern California? Oh, wow. You know what that means, so-called? 
I don't know. You're the, you're the American here. <laughs> so I think SOCAL is like Southern California. Well, Mojave, Mojave Desert, that would be Southern California. Okay, yeah, between the two of us, we deciphered it. All right, so. <laughs> I, yeah. would, I would say that uh, Cracking Tomatoes, first of all, it can come uh, mostly, well, first of all, some varieties are more prone to cracking than others. And the other thing is uh, variation in soil moisture. And the, when he said he, he tried watering them a lot or watering them a little, basically, if you, uh, I would guess if you garden in that climate, you would have drip irrigation, which would keep a very even, I mean, even I have drip irrigation here, and it keeps a very even uh, moisture level. But I think between a variety choice and, uh, and even watering, and the, the most even watering you'll get is with drip irrigation. Right. And would um, the cracking be from getting too much water too quickly or like a, a big rain after a drought sort of thing? Would that it just uh -huh. explode sort of thing? Yep. Yeah, I see. All right. And some varieties are just more, I guess, yeah. less elastic than others sort of thing. Or maybe it's just the rate they take up water. Maybe some just yeah. really drink too deeply, too quickly. Um, okay, so we're almost done these. We just got a couple of questions left. Um, these are our Facebook uh, listeners. Um, first is uh, Brian Barnard, uh, says, I have always heard sweet potatoes are a southern crop. Oh, this is sweet potatoes. Damn. Okay. We're going to skip that one because it's not a tomato question. They are southern, they are southern crop and they need tons of heat. <laughs> yes. I, I tried growing them here once and I, I did get a sweet potato from one <laughs> sweet potato crop. Uh, so I'm sure you could devote a greenhouse to it. Um, but man, you'd really have to like your sweet potatoes too. Yeah, <laughs> they, they grow long vines. Yes. Um, uh, Curtis Wilkerson, uh, spring fever has arrived in my part of the world, central Texas. Oh, I wow. don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> so your podcast is perfectly timed. Tomatoes won't be planted outside for another few weeks, <laughs> but uh, you can go ice fishing them uh, uh, where I am. Um, uh, Tomatoes won't be planted outside for another few weeks, but potatoes, onion, spinach, other cool crops are in the ground. That's not a question. All right. Thanks for your comment, Curtis. <laughs> right. just uh, trying to, he's just trying to make us feel bad. Yeah, I think he's just rubbing our noses in it. Um, Donna Doucette, um, I am curious uh, on his take on watering methods. Of course, soil conditions equally important. Uh, water can be a real issue, lack of. I hear watering thoroughly once weekly is better than a little each day. Okay, this is a great question for you. Well, watering thoroughly once weekly is, is a great idea if you're watering uh, with a sprinkler or by hand. And it, it takes a long time to water thoroughly because you have to put down the equivalent of, uh, you know, enough water to, uh, to wet the soil about six inches deep, which takes on average maybe an inch depth you know, if you had a can and you and there's a sprinkler on, the can would fill with an inch of water. But the I, to me, the ideal way to water, uh, which is both good for the plant and saves water, is with drip irrigation. Drip irrigation typically saves 60% of, of water over uh, sprinkler irrigation. Are your hoses under the ground or are they just laying on the ground? Why, when I first did it many, many years ago, I did it underground, and then it was sort of like uh, when I put a trowel in the ground, everyone saw it was like I struck oil, you know, or the water. So, so now I do it on top of the ground, not only for that reason, but also because one thing about drip irrigation, it's a very 
easy to set up and and, and it works great and everything but you do have to check it every once so i'll make sure i like to see the it's line functioning. yeah just to make sure because you know things happen yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah i'm a big fan of drip irrigation and it's uh you know i know sometimes when we've had a, a, a droughty summer and people in town they know that you know i'm a big gardener and you know they ask me how my garden is and they probably think i'm gonna start moaning and groaning how bad it is it's like great because i got all the water just uh through and bright sunlight and uh and heat and yeah that's true i mean i guess the, the very conditions that cause a drought are are ideal for growing if you've got enough water yeah um, and 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 if water is limiting drip irrigation makes as i said much more efficient use of it that makes yes yeah if you were somewhere where it cost money or there's um you know uh sort of conservation or if your well is at risk are you on a well or are you on yeah, i'm on a well and when i used to when i first moved here i i uh, had a sprinkler on once and uh it was a droughty summer and i have a shallow well it's only 11 feet deep Wow. So it's called a, it's what's called a dug well. It's it's you know uh, four foot concrete rings, you know, but I'm, I live on a road called Springtown Road, so there's a lot of springs there. So it recharges quite quickly, but when I had a sprinkler on, I was a, I accidentally uh, drew it down too fast and it dried out. But you know, in an hour it'll recharge, but uh, now I have much much more on drip irrigation and never dries out. Right, because you're, and, you know, the you're losing that, it through evaporation to the same extent. Well, so the thing is with a sprinkler irrigation uh, or this once a week irrigation, which is recommended, uh, you, when you first put the water down, you're actually flooding the soil with water, which means all the pores are filled up and roots do need oxygen to function. So the roots don't take up a lot of that water and then gravity drains all the weekly ah. health out of the soil and then the plant's happy because then there's air in the soil and then eventually you know the plants can't get any more water out of the soil so they you know they're suffering from drought a little and then you water it again presumably because it's the weak but the plant is going through this feast and famine cycle oh. and you're wasting all that water not to mention you're also with a sprinkler it's very democratic it spreads water everywhere like not necessarily only where you want plants to be so yeah. drip irrigation is more pinpointing. I'm a big, as you can tell, I'm a big fan of drip irrigation. That's my challenge in my garden. I mean, it's I've got walking paths and beds, and um, you know, uh, sprinkler doesn't make any sense because, right? You know, I'd be watering my walking paths for the most part, and I'd and have to move it all the time. Yeah, and you'd be growing, uh, helping weeds grow on the paths. I'd be helping, and and my garden, the walking paths, I put sand down. I just had this idea of turning the walking paths into a desert and the beds into an oasis. <laughs> and, and one of the side, I mean, I, the reason I started doing it was because I, I got worried about ticks because we have ticks here, uh -huh. and I, young kids and stuff like that. And I, and I, I had a tick expert on the show and I was asking her about sand and she said, ticks hate sand, right? Oh. Because they, they like, they don't like dry environments. Right. And the sand dries out very fast, even after the most incredible rain. It's dry in an hour, you know. It just well, how, how, how deep is the sand? Oh, like five inches, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, originally the walking paths were were mulched beds, and so if anything actually starts growing, it grows really well because there's like beautiful black earth underneath all that sand, right? Um, but uh, and actually this year I have to replenish it because because I grow it I grew it over the springy beautiful soil so it, it still keeps I almost should have put like crusher dust down then sand yeah um, 
But the good thing about having sand is that if any over that that soft stuff is that if, if anything does start growing and I can pull it out no problem because there's it's so soft underneath. Right. Um, but one of the side benefits of the sand is that it's a heat sink, right? Yeah. So um, like I can go outside and there's snow on the ground and my walking paths are completely thawed, right? Mm. The water doesn't accumulate on them. The water goes down through and because they're, I mean, they're not black, but they're darker than snow, right? right. Um, and uh, in the spring, in the earlier season, you can feel the, like when you walk from my lawn to the garden you can this heat because it's you think about it it's like a big rock that's soft well it's right? also because, it's also because it's not holding water and water you know has this heat capacity so if you have a moist soil won't change temperature as quickly as a as a dry soil uh, yeah, yeah. so then, you know this as as the temperature warms in the spring this the wet soil is still retaining some of winter's cold Whereas this, the sand uh, can change more quickly. Well, and I, I view the pathways as being almost like they were concrete. I mean, it, it, it is like, it is rocks, right? Sand yeah. is rocks. Right, so, right, right. So it's basically I have a garden surrounded with rocks. Yeah. And ro rocks hold heat, even if it's sand, right? So you, yeah. you can be out there and it's like, and so it just creates this weird little microclimate back there. And it, it's helped a lot. I mean, it's, it doesn't solve my not enough sunlight problem, but on a day when it is sunny, everything gets warmed up and it's it's really sort of solved some of my uh, early spring issues with the garden just getting things happening a lot better and there, there's no amount of heat that's enough heat here so we'll just take just can't right. get overheated here it's just not warm enough for that so it wouldn't work for certain parts of the world it would just might get like crazy hot um but for here it seems to so it's one of the side benefits i did it mainly to to have a sort of slightly weed proof mostly tick proof sort of situation it looks cool too it looks kind of neat yeah um, the, main, the main problem seems it's, it's heavy stuff now so you hire a young guy to, to do it oh, yeah. uh, so right. like a dump truck dumps it off and then i i put an ad on um, and then get some guy who's like uh you know 18 and right. big muscles like a wrestler and yeah, i'm amazed and then, at, uh, and, then, and then you say i bet you can't move all that sand <laughs> <laughs> i pay him but uh, it's it's humbling to watch you know a teenager outperform you, right. uh, <laughs> hey, you know. Yeah, well, and he's like, "What are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm gonna go play hockey." <laughs> I'd be like wrecked, you know, if I did a third of what that guy's doing. I'd be wrecked for a week, you know. <laughs> so, well, that's my solution, uh, you know. Until my kids are old enough to move that kind of weight. Uh, you know, wheelbarrow fulls of sand. I think this year is a year where I'm going to have to re redo it. I'd love to find some black sand. <laughs> that would really oh, yeah. get some heat going. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so that that's killed off all our questions. Uh, but Lee, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Um, everybody out there, uh, if you enjoy about the podcast and you want to help support everything I'm doing here, um, check out my sponsor of SCCs, go to their website, use my coupon code GAVS22 to get free shipping as long as there's a pack of seeds in your order. Uh, this is the time of year you want to start thinking about seeds so uh, or anything else. I mean, they sell hats, they sell pesticides, they sell trials, they sell all the other stuff. So uh, as long as there's a pack of seeds in your order and you haven't got an oversized item like a rototeller, you'll get free shipping. So, and that means you can buy blueberries, strawberries, apple, apple, apple tree whips. That is all within the category of free shipping stuff. Wow. So it adds up, right? So 
Um, and Americans, you can buy things from SEC's, you just can't buy as many things. Uh, there's our soil cannot touch your soil. Uh, so <laughs> do we get do we get free shipping? Yes. Yes, wow. you'll get, you, as far as I understand it, you'll get free shipping. As long, so when you go to their website, there's a thing near the top right that has a flag. So there's a Canadian flag. You, there's a little thing you click there and you click on the American flag. And that, that shows you what you can buy. Like, so you couldn't buy like potatoes because they have dirt right. on them. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, and there's certain kinds of seeds that I don't know why, but you can't order them yeah. into the United States for whatever reason. Um, but, and I'm not sure about, I'm talking about apple tree whips and stuff like that. I don't know if those fall into the category as well. Yeah. Um, I'm really trying hard to, to find uh, an American partner that is like Vessi Seats, similar sort of uh, mom and pop-ish type company. Uh, but I just, it, there's a lot of work goes into um, convincing them you're not nuts and uh, <laughs> getting them to take you on as a partner. Uh, but I, I mean, half my YouTube audience is, is in the United States. Yeah. Um, and they can't, you know, I mean, they can buy things from Vessies and a lot of them do and it's great, but uh, uh, it'd be great to get a, an American partner that uh, they could buy anything they want from. I'm still, I'm always looking around. That's just, uh, I send out, you know, emails all the time trying to convince someone to give my viewers a deal and, uh, you know, give me a little money too. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully we'll figure that out. Um, anyway, uh, Lee, thanks for coming on the show. We'll, we'll definitely uh, have you on again. And, uh, you know, really, it's been a couple of years since we had you on the show. So uh, yeah. but for those of you, uh, go to, uh, there's links to, to Lee's website uh, in the um, description box of this video or in the write-up. If you're on the podcast website, I'll get information on his books, a link to his website. Um, people can buy their books from you right on your website, right? Actually, I, it costs a fortune for some reason to ship to Canada. So you oh. buy them from somebody in Canada. You on know, Amazon? Some, yeah, or a bookstore, you know, whatever. Or yeah, a bookstore, what? <laughs> <laughs> What's a bookstore? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. No, but the usual places uh, in Canada, except I unfortunately can't ship to Canada. Okay. I mean, I can, but it costs like $30 for a book or something. I, don't I know noticed that. that like years ago, I remember in the early 2000s, I used to buy things on eBay from the United States, all, especially fishing gear. I could get the greatest deals like fly rods for five bucks, you know, and then at some point, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, it became impossible to buy things in the United States. Huh. Uh, it's, it's not that it's impossible. I just, for whatever reason, yeah, it's impossible. It's so costly for them to ship to Canada. It wasn't, wasn't worth them selling to us. Um, and I don't know what changed. Um, I don't quite understand it, but boy, it was fun while it lasted. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, that's the end of the show, everybody. Thanks for watching. Lee, we'll have you on again. Great Good. having you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Been great uh, being on it. I'll go have my dinner now. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, uh, until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your day.